Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, man, we are cruising through summer here. I mean, we are. It's hard to believe we're rest than, less than a month away from football starting. Football. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be exciting. You know, Clemson's going to start off kind of slow, so we'll They will. Not too many big games there in the first few weeks. I think we played Duke the first week. Okay. And, um, yeah. And on the 4th of September, but um but so that's coming up. Um but you know, the, the most exciting thing I've seen in sports was uh Bryson DeChambeau shot the tour record uh yeah, right. in yeah. a live golf event last weekend. Yeah. 58, 58, right? 58, yeah. 12 under, wow. 13 under par. Um, so they tied Jim Furyk's record from seven years ago, the lowest round ever in a in a PGA type of event. Um, so yeah, that was exciting. It was amazing to watch. I was actually watching it. So. Yeah, yeah. I think it hopefully it encourages more more play like that. I know he's fun to watch because he hits the ball a lot far. Right. Yeah. He he's exciting to watch and and uh, um, yeah. Hopefully you get more. More of that going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm hoping the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Tour will kind of combine. Have a good relationship. Combined and start, to, <laughs> yeah. start seeing more of that on TV. But that's I actually right. saw yeah. it on TV, the Live Golf yeah. event. So that was fun. So that's uh, that's sports. Not too much going on there. But the nope. heat's finally, you know, the humidity has finally dropped a little bit. So we're it it's feeling a little more like summer may be winding down. Yeah, so My, my um, kids were cold this morning. I was wow. like, what do you mean? Cold? Just go outside if you're cold. <laughs> but they were cold inside the house because the humidity, the air yeah. conditioning actually works. And it had because the humidity isn't so bad. And it was sixty nine this morning in my house. So okay, it had so it actually was kind of cold. <laughs> yeah, it dropped below seventy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, um, you know, speaking of uh, of fall, I mean, we have a lot of things going on here, and um, uh, a lot of good topics to talk about here. We, we're, first of all, we're going to start off talking about the four percent rule. The topic is, is the 4% rule dead? Um, this is based on an article very recently about the 4% rule. And um, the J.P. Morgan Chase is saying, yeah, they think the 4% rule is dead. So we're going to dig yeah. into that and That's find out if the 4% withdrawal rule really is is dead. Does it need to be something lower or, or more? What is the rule? Yeah, that'll be yeah. good. Yeah, and then we're going to look at um, what is deflation on last week's podcast i the the uh topic i talked about was what is inflation now we're going to look at deflation and so uh, if you haven't listened to last week's go check that out but this the this one today we're gonna we're gonna dive into what that looks and that's an article from kiplinger and um i think it's got some good stuff in there for us so yeah it's a good topic to understand because it is complicated yeah. it is complicated yeah it is it is definitely complicated but i feel yeah. like more complicated than inflation Right, it yeah. is, and people want to know why is that bad? Why is deflation right. bad? Because yep. it sounds good, prices yeah, going right. down, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll be interested to hear what you have to say about All that. Right. Zach. Absolutely, that's good. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 28 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Zach Albanese, a certified financial planner and four years experience in the investment advisory world, and been here for. Two and a half years. So yeah, yeah, it's time good. flies. It's been fun. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Um, we are up every Friday morning, um, so you can see our show or listen to our show right there off our website, MoneyMD.net, or you can look us up on iTunes or 
anywhere else where you listen to podcasts, pretty much you can search us and listen to us anywhere in the world. Um, no excuse for not getting your daily, your weekly dose weekly, of, yep. uh, of the money doctors, money doctors and your prescriptions for your financial health. That's right. And also check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there and send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. And we will talk about those right here on the show. Uh, we're going to start off here, Zach, with the financial fact of the week. All right. And uh, what is it? Yeah. And I'm going to read it. Here we are. So gold prices, we, we have a lot of questions about gold and silver. So the fact this week's about gold prices. Gold prices today are lower than they were in 2011 and, 2000, and, and 1980. 1980. 2011, wow. 1980. So that's 12 years ago and 43 years ago. Wow. Adjusted for inflation, gold has made zero return. And that's from 1980. For 12 years and for 43 yeah. years. Those were high points in history for gold prices. And today, it hasn't reached that new high. hasn't reached yeah. that new high. So yeah. there you go. Gold's made nothing for 12 and 43 years when you look at it that way. And silver, by the way, has lost over 50% over those two same time periods wow. adjusted for inflation. Interesting, because we, you know, you always think it's a, a good investment, but... Stable, good investment, not stable, and can lose money, and mm -hmm. certainly can go a long, long time without making anything, making anything, yeah. not keeping up with inflation. So just, you know, and everybody, you know, talked about gold and silver as being the hedge against inflation. Yeah, right. Until this last go-round here, a year yeah, ago. Yeah, it really wasn't. A year ago, it didn't, didn't keep up with inflation. No. So really hasn't been a great hedge for inflation. So, um, yeah, there you go. Fun fact about gold and silver. All right, and that leads us up here to our first topic. Is the 4% rule dead? Um, well, Zach, this is an article very recently, um, very, very recently, out of from Smart Asset, Mike Opel. Opel um, and, but, you know, there has been a lot of different withdrawal rules over the years, Zach. But for the past 20 years or so, there's been this 4% rule that has been well accepted in the financial community. Um, lately though, I mean, we have heard more and more studies or people questioning that rule and showing situations where it might not work over time. Um, the latest is JP Morgan Chase, which, um, said just recently, um, ongoing inflation and an outlook for sharply lower returns could mean that retirees should toss the longstanding 4% rule. You know, that's the rule that where it says that retirees can safely withdraw um, 4% from their in investments every year, and you can adjust that with inflation mm -hmm. and safely draw down your savings by that 4% and, and not worry about running out of money before you die. Right. Um, you know, and it, it's been proven that over 30 years, you know, that that will not, not draw down your money in like 99% of your cases. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, they say relying on this old rule could mean that you have to cut back on your spending or even, you know, seeing your savings disappear, you know, in short of that 30-year period. So instead of a big, instead the big bank advises drawing down no more than 2 or 3% of your nest egg each year. Um, so we're going to dig into this latest criticism of this long-standing rule of them and see, you know, are there valid concerns about the rule? 
So, but first, let's answer the question: What is the four? Yeah, that's rule? that's good. We'll start there. Start with the basics. And so, the four the four percent rule was first articulated in the early nineties, and it calls for, as you you know, you mentioned, Steve, spending four percent of your retirement savings in the first year of your retirement, and then adjusting that percentage for inflation each year. So, you know, doing that would have kept retirees from running out of money in in every thirty year period since nineteen twenty six. I thought that was a it's pretty, know, interesting. It's pretty good stat. Yeah, I mean that's good data. Um, so even when economic conditions were at their worst, so for example, a retiree, let's say you have a million dollars, you would draw forty thousand dollars in the first year, which is four percent. Um, and because of subsequent withdrawals are adjusted for inflation, that same retiree would withdraw forty one thousand two hundred dollars in their second year retirement if inflation was at the historical rate of three percent. Right, so that, that's kind right. of the the gist of the four percent rule. Yeah, and that's been a solid rule that has been, you know, relied on easily for the last 20 years. Um, you know, back in the 90s, we even used a 5% rule oftentimes, yep, you know, right. that was kind of a similar rule. And it was thought 5% was very, very safe. It wasn't 100% of 30-year periods, but it was the vast majority of yeah. them. And people accepted that. So mm -hmm. but the 4% rule has been the gold standard uh, for a very long time. So why is it time to toss out the 4% rule? Well, earlier this year, um, uh, the guy that in first came up with, that, the, with the term, with the, yeah, the 4% the rule, term. rule um, Bingen is his name, said that the 4% rule needs to be tossed. And the reasons for doing so are numerous. Um, you know, for one thing, people are living longer, they say. Um, According to the Social Security Administration, the average man turning 65 years today, 65 years old, can expect to live until 84.3, hmm. so about 19 years um, if you make it to 65. Uh, his female counterpart can expect to live on average 86.6, so yeah. about two more years, yeah, yeah. Two, two and a half or more years. Um, but research has suggested that millennials may live well into their 90s and beyond um, because of advancements in medicine and, and uh, things like that. So, you know, there's even more pressure to make retirement savings stretch out longer. Having said all of that, um, that's still not 30 years, right? right. We're still talking 24 years and 20 or 19 years. And, and so if you start, if you retire at 65, 65 yeah. I don't see why that's a good, valid reason to be concerned about the 4% yeah, rule. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And so, you know, they also point out that the 4% rule doesn't take into account individual savings rates. And statistics have shown that millennials have the lowest participation rate when it comes to saving in employer-sponsored plans like a 401k. And a recent report shows that 56% of them are less likely to save for retirement outside of their plan which means that a significant number of young workers could come up short in retirement. So Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I still don't see, I mean, even if you don't save enough, I don't see why that affects how long your money will accumulate and last in retirement. Right, because even if it, the 4% rule doesn't mean you have to reach a certain point, it just means you take out 4% of what you have saved. Yeah, so it seems so, like the 4% rule would still apply. Right. I, so I don't, I don't know why that's a valid argument either, yep. honestly. Yeah, and then J.P. Morgan um, also advises that retiring the 4% rule um, should happen because of prospects for lower returns and higher inflation um, that all economists now see on the horizon, according to them. Um, 
you know, means that the four percent rule could be a prescription for serious financial trouble. They say, hmm. you know, while the S and P five hundred earned on average ten percent over the last ten years and has earned something like that over the last, you know, eighty years. Eighty years, right? Right. Um, the bank recently published a long term capital markets assumptions forecast that a sixty forty portfolio mix would turn return just four point three percent. Wow, which is Hard to believe because interest rates are higher than 4.3% now. Yeah. You could get right. that in the money market. That's right. So how could that be? I don't know. And then, uh, you know, as an example, they said the bank uh, said there's nearly 100% likelihood that a 60-year-old with $30 million in a taxable portfolio would run out of money if they spent 4% of their portfolio, $1.2 million for the next 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> that's a crazy example it is Zach, i mean why would they use a 30 million dollar example i mean okay i admit if you really need to spend 1.2 million dollars a year you might need to start yeah worrying. yeah that's a lot that's a lot right that's a lot but goodness no i mean yeah i don't know where they come up with that but that's that's crazy yeah that example is it's not great not, no, not a great example no. so so then what so if the four percent rule, J.P. Morgan saying four percent rule is dead, what did what do they suggest you do instead? And so I think given the degree of variability in retirees' spending habits and investment results, J.P. Morgan offers six factors to weigh as you develop a withdrawal strategy that you know that's tailor made for you. Okay. And so the six are th things to consider are tax rates. So which is always a good. Always a good sure, question to consider. You know, what is yeah. what's your combined federal, state, and local tax rate? Um, other thing to consider: what are your financial commitments? You know, do you aim to leave a legacy, maybe for your children or benefit your descendants? Um, other thing to consider is what are some additional resources? Are you the owner of a liquid uh, assets like real estate, trusts, or inheritance? <clears throat> An important thing to consider in your sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties is healthcare expenses. You can't project those out perfectly, but how would you estimate your ongoing medical needs? Are you healthy at 60 or do you estimate that being a little higher? Sure. Um, and then think about your your life partner's ages. A 65-year-old couple today faces a 72% probability that at least one will live to age 90. Yeah. And a 44% chance that person will live to be 95. Yeah. And so those are good, some some good um, 30 factors years. to consider. Yeah. yeah, 30 years. There you go. I think you need 30 years. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. That's good that's, data. Yeah. Yeah. Our 4% rule last For the 4% rule. <laughs> exactly. I think they're trying to support the 4% yeah. rule. Yeah. And they also mentioned portfolio com composition. You know, how much do you have in taxable versus tax deferred IRAs versus Roths, for example, or after-tax money? Um, you know, if you have a concentrated position, you might need to earmark more of that account for the, that risk. Um you know, mm -hmm. to avoid jeopardizing your lifestyle. You know, perhaps you have a lot of embedded gains that will need extra funds to pay taxes when they're eventually sold. I mean, well, Zach, yeah, I mean, all of these are really important factors, and I agree with those. I mean, they certainly should influence how much you can withdraw right. and, you know, and what, where you withdraw it from, and how much you plan for taxes and all those things. But they still don't invalidate the 4% rule as a good starting point for most people, do they? No. Well, I mean, what's interesting too, and I just thought about it is even with their, you know, their bearish, um, 
the point you made earlier, right. you know, they forecast a 60-40 portfolio returning 4.3%. Yeah. Well, if even if that is true, which is low historically, that still would support 4%. 4%. Yeah, I mean, inflation Infl- would... Sure, it would erode it, it but it thirty. Erode. The, th- the important point is the 30 years. Yeah, it would right, still... Inflation would erode it, but at the rate... Probably, of having 30 years, it probably would still get you 30 years. Still get you to it. So still it, get you 30 years. It is yeah, strange. So. I've, I've heard this now for a while, too. It's almost like it's strange. they want to dismantle it, but... And they just want people to be more conservative. I don't know if they're just being yeah. contrary. Sure. I, it's, it's interesting that they would rail against it, but they don't provide any good data that yeah. really undermines I understand, it. like, the inflation point. I understand if inflation is rampant for a longer period. Yes, of course, that's something you consider. And you readjust your scenario, but yeah, yeah. To me, it's um, it, it is a little overly bearish without the good data. I think, like as you mentioned, it is, so. yeah. And other analysts have also found alternative alternatives to the four percent rule. I mean, Morningstar uh, study found that using an initial withdrawal rate of three point three percent, retiree with a portfolio split equally between equities and bonds had a ninety percent probability of remaining positive after thirty years. Um, mm. You know, so yeah, there's lots of studies out there um, that are saying that, you know, there may be better alternatives to 4%, um, but nobody's really, really given hard data that says 4% doesn't work. Yeah. And so the, you know, the bottom line in all this is the, the prospect of continued high inflation, sharply lower market returns could be a problem for the 4% rule, which we've, you know, talked about, um, However, there's always the risk that the future look vastly different from the past or a terrible period like the 70s can return and and right when you're beginning retirement, there are all these factors, there's, right? There's if you retire right at the top of the market and you experience few years of a bear market, yes, that, that would hinder things. Um, so that's why you need contingency, plan, contingency plans in place to give you flexibility in retirement, uh, having a good emergency reserve that you can tap into. Um, and prioritizing your spending so you know where you can come back if needed. And I think another important point is to not look at your next 30 years right right now, but just to, to make changes as you go. And your needs will change. Yeah, You can reassess. Maybe you do want to spend $1.2 million a year if you have a $30 million portfolio for a few years. But I, I don't know. Do you know any? Do you know any eighty-year-olds that spend one point two million dollars a year? Not, not really. I mean, maybe somebody <laughs> out in Hollywood or yeah. someplace, but not yeah. around here. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reality is, Zach. I mean, most people don't increase their spending with inflation later in retirement. You know, I right. mean, our experience has seen that people spend the most in the first ten years of retirement. Sure. Then they tend to slow down. They tend to take less trips. They tend to make less large purchases. You know, you don't have people that are 85 typically going out and buying a new car. Um, right. You know, and so this pairing back of expenses <clears throat> later in retirement is never factored into these analysis of how long your money will last. Um, you know, the fact is, in my 28 years in the business, <clears throat> I have never seen anyone run out of money if they stuck to only 4% withdrawals adjusted for yeah. inflation each year. That's good. And that's including people retiring, you know, during the lost decade. You know, or or right, you know, during the middle of the Great Recession in 2008. I mean, I've seen lots of retirees that entered that period. They still made it fine if they stuck to a disciplined withdrawal Mm -hmm. strategy like 4%. And then that's, I mean, it's just been proven to be a sound withdrawal strategy. 
And if you have fixed income in your portfolio, you can take that 4% out of fixed income for a long time to give stocks yeah. time to recover. Recover, yeah. Yeah. So instead of worrying about challenging these types of time-tested rules, I would encourage people to focus on doing great planning, you know, create a sound yeah. retirement budget. Mm -hmm. Um, so you really know what you need and where it's, you know, where it will go in retirement, you know, and build in some contingency plans. If you need to cut expenses, um, you, you know where you can cut and you have a proper emergency fund that you can fall back on. Yeah. Um, so if you plan well and you stick to these times tested strategies, you can sleep easier in retirement, not worry so much about the unpredictable events that could always challenge the best laid plans. Sure, sure. Yeah, so. Absolutely. That's where I'm at. Yeah, good, so. good planning. 4% rules, it's a nice, quick, mathematical way to, to come up with a, a, a dollar amount that you could spend a year. Absolutely. Yeah, everyone's situation is different, and good planning trumps, um, you yeah. know, simply just taking 4%. Yeah, it's a your... great starting point. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the starting point. You do have to consider these other factors. Sure. and. Make adjustments. Absolutely. Well, All good. Right. Good topic. Uh, good thing to revisit. And now we're going to... That leads us up to our question yeah. of the week. Question of the week. So the question this week, and we've been, been getting this a lot because it's a very real question for us, Yeah, is what do you do when your custodian or brokerage firm changes hands? And so, um, you know, we're... Yeah, this we, kind of hits home, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it hits home a little bit for us. So we, you know, our custodian currently, TD Meritrain, right. they were bought by Schwab. Wow. A few years ago, a couple years ago, yeah, yeah, and uh, now officially they will, they will Trans rename. They will change hands. They will be Schwab as of September the the first weekend of September, Labor Day weekend. Right, it'll be Schwab, <clears throat> and right. so, yeah, and I think in short, um, you do nothing. You do nothing. I mean, this has happened before, right? If you were, if you were with Ameritrade back in the old days. They got bought by TD Waterhouse, yeah, and T then it became TD Ameritrade. You know, so this happens all the time in the brokerage industry, yeah. where where companies are bought up, and name changes, and things kind of merge. Um, you don't need to do anything, you know. Yeah, I had a TD Waterhouse account whenever they bought Ameritrade and changed names, and mm -hmm. you know, before that, I had somebody else, and it's just it's no need for to change anything, let's just, you know, get, get through it and, you know, change your login, whatever is required in this case, yeah. just to log in. Login will change. I need, you'll get a new account number. Um, but they've, they're merging all of it. So it's not like you have to, you don't have, you to, don't do have to anything. transfer anything. It's, it's all being merged and you should got, you should get all that information. Um, so really it's not doing anything and, and, um, yeah, having a new login, your, um, your investments won't change. Investments won't change. There's no, tax implications nothing's being sold it's all a in-kind transfer is what they right. call it and so it's the same funds um and overall you know schwab has all the capabilities if not more because they're bigger yeah than td to and they actually have some extra extra one yeah things on the website so it, it should so. be better from a you know -term, consumer -term. experience long term but yeah i mean i understand it it new things make you nervous and and i you know we've been getting this question a lot so i figured it'd be good to address it here but really doing nothing and just um letting it all happen that's schwab's yeah. that's schwab's problem they're more concerned with things going smoothly than i think 
uh, you should be, or you know, oh, we yeah. should be. So. Yeah, you shouldn't shouldn't worry about it. You know, right. it's nothing to be concerned about. It's just a name change and a website mm-hmm. change, and everything else will be the same. So that's our prescription for brokerage firm changes. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah, just don't worry yeah, about yeah, it. Focus on fun things, yeah. other things. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> this is not going to affect you in any meaningful way. That's right. That's <laughs> what we're saying. So good question, Dana. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and that leads us up to our final topic here, and that is, uh, what is deflation? Yeah, so Steve, if you can believe it, after <laughs> inflation talk yeah. all last year, now we have this worry of deflation. Yeah, it's amazing how it's, it's flipped it's, so quickly. Right, and then we, have, we finally have good numbers for inflation. Things have come down. There's a little bit of breathing room, and then you hear about deflation. Um, or, you know, as you mentioned earlier, declining prices and... Um, yeah, so I think some think with the Fed's policy actions during COVID and post-COVID, you know, it raised concerns over both inflation and now eventually people are concerned of deflation. And the fear is that deflation um, can really be devastating to an economy. Um, but really true monetary deflation is rare. <clears throat> but it's important to address the topic, I think, so that yeah. we're aware of what it is and and what it isn't too. So um, yeah, what what causes deflation? Okay, good question. Yeah, and it is very rare. It's it's almost. I mean, on a broad scale, it almost never happens. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it really comes down to supply and demand. In the short term, deflation can be caused when there's less demand for um, for certain goods um, than the supply. The supply right. is a lot higher than demand, right? And and so the price starts going down. Um, so that forces producers to drop their prices in an effort to entice buyers to purchase their products. Mm-hmm. Over the long term, deflation is usually caused by a tight monetary policy where the Federal Reserve would raise interest rates and discourage people from borrowing money and spending more. Um, and that causes consumers to prioritize savings and investing over spending. And it kind of li- it, it leads to lower demand and thus lower prices over time. Right. So, you know, in this latest instant, instance, um, uh, the last instance of prolonged deflation in the U.S. was in the 1930s. Yeah, and, 100 years uh, ago. 100 almost. years ago, almost. Yeah, Fed Chair Ben Bernanke, you know, recently noted that the Fed's responsibility, they were responsible for this because yeah. they had um, created periods of high interest rates in, in addition to a contracting money supply which was recognized far too late. Um, so, I mean, deflation is something that scares economists more yeah. than anybody else. Everybody else thinks, oh, that would be good. Prices will go down. Sure. But it scares economists because it de-incentivizes spending. Exactly, exactly. And I think <clears throat> when you think about deflation, you have to think about the difference between something like transitory, transitory deflation or persistent deflation. Um, and, you know, obviously persistent deflation is worse because transitory deflation is just when prices drop temporarily and people believe the decline will be short-lived, which usually doesn't cause much problems for an economy. Um, you know, Similarly, localized deflation, when a good whose price rose during an extraneous circumstance, such as a pandemic, which we've seen this last year, or when an, you know the avian flu outbreak drove up egg prices, mm-hmm. that was short-lived. It came back down. Right. And it really doesn't... Uh, cause many problems because things normalize fairly quickly. You know, other examples of transitory deflation that may not be harmful to the economy include a jump in supply that is not met by immediate demand, 
which can actually be stimulative for future growth. You know, think of maybe a new mining technique or major discovery of oil or even technological advances. Yeah. When there are leaps in technology, there might be a defla- deflationary period, but it, it often boosts future, um, future economic growth, even right. if it's a short period of, of right. uh, maybe a slowdown. So, Yeah, we've seen that in oil prices, you know, gas yep. prices back over the last 10, 15 years since yeah. they did horizontal drilling and new techniques that exactly. produced, started producing a lot more. Yeah. So um, prices dropped for a long time. That was really good for yeah. consumers for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but deflation becomes a problem when it's persistent and pervasive. Um, when deflation occurs across multiple goods and services, which is a rare occurrence in yeah, advanced really economies, is. really is, but it can be dangerous for economic health because if deflation persists, persists for a long time, it becomes part of the normal thinking about people. You know, they think about how they spend money and their, their thought process cha- pivots to, you know, if they delay buying something, it'll be cheaper tomorrow. Um, Right. So it can it can disincentivize, you know, spending and it incentivize you to put off spending, which means you have this this cascading deflation. It can spiral into, you know, a negative thing. I mean, this has happened on a small scale for things like vehicles right now are, are going through some deflation. Right. Because they got so expensive during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, people are putting off buying cars because... Nobody wants they, to spend that much money. They yeah. don't. Unless yeah. you have... I mean, some people and, have to, but... And prices are dropping, you know? Yeah. Like EV models have come way down. and Exactly. And, and so prices are starting to drop on cars. So people are kind of putting it off, hoping for a better price tomorrow. Yeah. And so if that problem was spread across the right. economic landscape, that would be a bigger issue. If it's just cars. Exactly. That makes sense, especially because we've seen them inflate so much in the last couple of years. Right, so, right. Um, so is deflation more harmful than inflation? Uh, you might be thinking cheaper prices, you know, that's better. But um, really, overall, if there's true deflation and it's pervasive, it yeah, it's not it's not great. It's not a good sign of the uh, what's going on in the economy. Right. Um, sustained deflation can lead to depressions, as we've seen in the in the 1930s, and deflation can really be hard on borrowers who might be struggling to repay fixed debt. Um, and so ultimately, you don't you don't want deflation, but you don't. but deflation doesn't just come up. It usually is a sign of ongoing economic issues that have been happening for a while in terms of a recession. Right. And it's not just, oh, the price of something's going down. It's usually, there have been problems before leading up to that. So, And I think on a macroeconomic level, the most likely cause of deflation would be declining populations. Yep. You know, and of course we don't have that in the U.S. because, our, our, you know, we have so much, um, uh, so many immigrants yeah. come into the U.S. Um, so, but if you're in an economy like like Japan, for yeah. instance, where you have a declining population, yes, you might see deflation at some point. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good example. Less demand for goods and services. So, and it can spiral out of control. I think that's the big concern about deflation is the spiraling effect of, exactly. of it feeding on it. You know, lower prices mean people put off things longer and longer and, you know, it can, it can become contagious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think to you know to, to to wrap this conversation up, really is it's I think def- deflation's what we talked about, but it's also important to know there's another term, disinflation. You know, deflation is negative inflation, um, 
where disinflation refers to slowing inflation. And I think that's more likely what we're going to see. Right. And we've already seen that. You mentioned eggs. We mentioned eggs earlier, the price of which declined 7.9% between June of 2022 and June of 2023. And gasoline, which has declined 26.5% in the same period. So it's important to keep those two um, terms in your mind, deflation, disinflation, just wanted to give you a nice little primer on deflation, what it is. Yeah, so you know and, what uh, it is when you hear about it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I, I don't think it's anything to worry about in the U.S. I think, like you said, Steve, it's we have increasing population. We have, you know, currently a, a, a great economy, good growth, even in the midst of what's happened this last year and a half. Yeah. So. And the last time we had deflation, it was in the midst of the Great Depression. Exactly. So, you know, we'll have bigger things to worry about if we have that happen. Yes. So, I wouldn't worry about deflation, no. but it's good to know what it is. So good topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. And Zach, this has to do with email and text scan scams. That's right. Okay. I get those so all the time. So. We do get these all the time. And so the the prescription here is when you get a text or an email that is asking you to verify a bank or a credit card transaction. You know, we all get those from our credit card company mm -hmm. occasionally say, hey, verify this transaction. At least I get those. And you have to click on it, you know, to say, yes, this was us. This was me. It's legit. Yep. Um, well, there's a lot of scams now where you get those, those same emails. It looks legit. But when you click on it, it's asking you to input mm. your, your, um, your personal information. It's asking you to put in your password and your user ID and yep. log on. Yeah. It's a fake website. Don't mm -hmm. fall for it. They'll never ask you to log in to verify a transaction. Nope. So look for those and be skeptical of them. If they ask yeah. you to enter your 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 password and your uh, login ID or any other personal information, don't respond. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of times what I'll do if I get those, I'll... Because sometimes they look real. And they do. And you can get Very fooled, real. but... I'll log in whatever way you normally log in. Do that and just check to make yeah. sure everything's all right. That's typically what I do. So yeah, go to their main website. Don't yep. don't don't click, don't on click that. the links. Don't click on the link. All right, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at seven zero six seven three nine. 0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week. Yeah, have a good one. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.